So as I thought about what to share about this morning, the first thing that came to me, I thought, you know, it's the first Sunday of the new year. And as we look back, what do we see in 2020? If you had one word to describe 2020, what would your word be? Go ahead and say it out loud. What? Challenging. What? Confusing. Disruptions. Yeah, we we don't want to dwell there, right? (laughs) To me, it was a troubled time. And I'm not, you know, I don't see that we're out of it yet. So as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, there's, there's a psalm that over 20 years ago really helped me in a troubled time. And in this psalm, the psalmist is writing from a place that he calls the valley of weeping. Not just trouble, he's like admitting that this is a place that's brought him to tears. So that's what we're going to look at today. God wants to transform our valley of trouble into a valley of blessing. If you're like me, I think, when I get out of this trouble, then I'll be blessed. Anybody think that? Just get us out of this. And God's saying to us, wait, wait, wait. In this valley of trouble, there are blessings. There are blessings to be found in trouble that we can't find anywhere else. That's kind of hard to believe, (laughs) but we're going to see it in Scripture today. This morning, I'm praying, God, what is like the main point you're wanting to say to me? I want you to know that when I'm teaching, I'm not saying, oh God, what do you want them to hear? Because I know I need to hear from him. The last couple weeks in my life, there have been a couple really heartbreaking things. I've been in tears. So when I'm praying this morning, God reminds me, remember, Barb, you're not in control. You're not in control. And then I thought of all the times, of many times in Taiwan, when God reminded us we're not in control. And actually, sometimes it's just funny. If you ever try, if you've ever done this, Live in a foreign country where you don't understand what they're saying, you can't read their language, and you can't speak. Every day was an adventure of learning that we can't control our surroundings. We can't even control what we're going to order off a menu. So when we get a menu, it doesn't look like this. It's all those Chinese characters, you know, how they look like a bunch of scribbles. They don't resemble our alphabet at all. They just look like... A kid scribbled. I don't know. They don't make sense to me. But Google, yeah, Google's supposed to know everything, right? (laughs) So handy-dandy camera, we go to Google Translate, and we hold our camera over the menu. And this is what we get. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know. I can still remember laughing so hard. Like, all the people around us are probably wondering what is up with that American couple. I'm like, we're really going to order a tie, fight, throw, pig, everywhere, chaos, time stool, head, test, leg, row at the Pickles Plum Pig Complex at the Three Cups Chicken. (laughs) 
Adventure. Adventure awaits on every menu. Uh, Rick was always more adventurous than I. I'm thinking, what words do I understand there? I think I'll order the three cups chicken. I mean, I know what a chicken looks like. <laughs> he ordered the tie fight, throw pig everywhere chaos. <laughs> so, if you want an adventure, go live in a foreign country without the language. And you learn right away you're not in control. What I want us to do is to go to Psalm 84. I hope you have your Bibles. The main part of this psalm, we're going to look at all 12 verses, uh, but the main part of this psalm that I want us to focus on is verses 5 to 7. And that's what we're going to read first. Psalm 84, verses 5 to 7. <clears throat> Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, the autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. That's our main context. And I want you to understand the psalmist is in the Valley of Baca, which is translated in Hebrew, the Valley of Weeping. Now, one commentator I read said nobody's ever identified a physical place that was called the Valley of Baca. So most likely the psalmist was just being honest with God. Here I am in a valley and I'm weeping. And obviously the psalmist doesn't want to be there. But we see some great promises. As they pass through the valley of Baca, it becomes a place of springs and pools. And they go from strength to strength. So let me ask you this. Think about last year at this time. Think about where you're what your walk with God was like a year ago. Now, how has that changed this year? That's important. Has this valley of trouble drawn you closer to the Lord? Are you more confident and more sure that he's in control, that he loves you? Or has this valley of trouble kind of taken you on a little side street where you're wondering, God, what in the world are you doing? We can wonder why. Why, God? Why are you allowing all of this? In my life, he never answers those why questions. He just says, trust me. And I feel like the more I get to know God, the less I need to know why. Because I know he loves me. And he's all wise. He never makes a mistake. So we just hang on to him through the ride. Now, <clears throat> I read this statement last week. got my attention. Ian Bounds is an, a theologian from the early 1900s. He says, trouble is God's servant doing his will. Trouble is under the control of almighty God. And it's one of his most effective agents in fulfilling his purposes and in perfecting his saints. Is that your definition of trouble? <laughs> I would have never thought 
to define trouble like that, but I'm thinking he probably got that from James 1. James 1 and 2, I know you've heard it. And I know when I'm in trouble, I don't want to hear this. But listen what James says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's James 1, 2, and 3. In your trouble, consider it pure joy. Not my natural reaction, is it yours? God's going to challenge us this morning through his word, but he's going to show us that he has so much for us. He wants us to feel blessed as we go through this valley of trouble. So as I looked at Psalm 84, I see three um, sections. And these are my three points, my outline this morning. God will transform our valley of trouble. He'll transform it. While we're in it, we're going to see that it's been transformed to a valley of blessing when we first have the right perspective of God, like we look at the trouble, and then we put God in the picture, okay? Have the right perspective of God. Secondly, when we have the right priorities in life, we're going to learn from this psalmist how blessed he, the blessings he experienced because of what his priority in life was. And third, we're going to hold on, hold on through this valley, hold on to the promises of God. So let's start with the first point, have the right perspective of God. Look at verse 1. The psalmist says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Now that's how the NIV translates it. It's Yahweh, if you remember, if you were here when I taught a long sometime in the fall, about Yahweh is the personal name of God. Only those of us who belong to him can call him Yahweh. It's kind of like daddy. He's like, my, I have a relationship with this God. Yahweh is Lord. NIV translates almighty. The ESV translates it Lord of hosts. And I like the new living. It says Lord of heaven's army. God Almighty. Oh, Lord of hosts, this is telling us that God is sovereign over all the forces of the universe. God is sovereign. That means he is in control. There is nothing and no one who can get between us and what he's wanting to do for us. He can defend his people. He's the Lord of hosts, the captain of heaven's armies, the Lord Almighty. Now, understanding the sovereignty of God is not easy, and I'm not here to explain it to you. (laughs) It's something that takes faith. But I remember in this valley of weeping that I was in like 22 years ago, I didn't have a very firm grasp on the sovereignty of God. And as I started reading the Bible that year, every time I came across a verse or a section of scripture where it was obvious God was in control, 
I put an S beside that in my Bible. At the end of the year, I was surprised that I could flip through my Bible and see an S all over the place. You can't miss it. God is always in control, even when it looks like the worst things ever are happening. And that's what happened to Job. Look what Job says in Psalm 42. Now, this is Job who, before he said this, lost all his children, his, his whole family. He lost all his wealth and even his health. He lost it all. And then he says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is what he says to God. God, I know you can do all things. I've just been through all of this, the loss of everything, even my health. But you can do all things. And no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It means, God, I know your promises are not being destroyed in my life. Your, your plans and purposes are not being thrown out just because all this bad stuff happened. Also, Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And I really like the good news. It's pretty blunt. People can plan all kinds of things, but the Lord's will is going to be done. No doubt about it. God will do what God wants to do, and nobody anywhere on this earth can stop him. Nobody. God is in control. Spurgeon says, There's no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained all their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. Interesting, isn't it? No attribute more comforting to his children than to know that God is in control. I'm so grateful that God took me through that valley of weeping 20-some years ago just to teach me that. I can find comfort in what I can't understand, what I don't like, what I don't want, what I never would have asked for. I can still find comfort in knowing God is still in control. So because I quote from Spurgeon quite often, I want to read you a mini portrait of his life, just in case, just so you understand the context of what he just said. He's a preacher from the 1800s in London, okay? In his 20s, he pastored the largest megachurch in Protestant Christianity when he's in his 20s. London's largest buildings could hardly accommodate his crowds. American tourists who would go to England were often greeted when they came back with, did you get to see the queen? And then, and did you get to hear Spurgeon? He's that well known all over the world. But Spurgeon was a weak human. He was anything but bulletproof. In fact, for most of his life, Spurgeon nursed deep wounds and struggled to cope with many emotional and physical disorders. His life was characterized by illness, disease, and difficulties 
that often made him feel as if he was always living on the verge of disaster. In 1867, Spurgeon suffered his first attack of chronic nephritis, um, kidney inflammation similar to lupus. At 35, he was diagnosed with gout and inflammation of the joints. In 1886, he said, When I am suffering very greatly from gout, if anyone walks heavily or noisily across the room, it gives me pain. In a letter to his brother, he wrote, I thought a cobra had bitten me and filled my veins with poison. Spurgeon also suffered from depression, and this is what he said. I think it would have been less painful to have been burned alive at the stake than to have passed through those horrors and depressions of spirit. Yet even in the heat of public criticism, character assassination, physical setbacks, and emotional challenges, Spurgeon experienced the warm kindness and deep love of God. Now listen to this. He said this from his pulpit. I, the preacher of this hour, beg to bear my witness that the worst days I have ever had have turned out to be my best days. And when God has seemed most cruel to me, he has then been most kind. If there is anything in this world for which I would bless him more than for anything else, it is for pain and affliction. I am sure that in these things, the richest, tenderest love has been made real to me. Incredible, isn't it? He said his worst days have turned out to be his best days. Well, one way that we can get there <clears throat> is to see that the right perspective of God will give us the right perspective of our trouble. You got to know God. <laughs> we know God. We look at world events totally different because we put God in the picture. Whenever you're struggling, pick this up. Pick up your word. God has primarily given us this word so that we can know him. So we can know how he thinks. We can see how he acts. We can know his character. And something I learned years ago that has been a big help to me, whenever I start reading a passage, the first thing I look for is what is God teaching me about himself in this passage? Maybe he's talking about Jesus or the Holy Spirit, but on every page, every page, he's teaching us something about himself, and you find that. Get the right perspective of God before you look at your troubles. So the psalmist said he was Lord Almighty, supreme ruler, in control, in command of all that's going on. The next word he uses to describe God is in verse 2 when he says, My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Isn't that great? Our God is not the statue. 
Yes, I saw plenty of those dead gods. He's not just on a throne so far above us, so far away from us, sitting there with his hands folded and just watching us. No. Our God is living. He is active. He is alert. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows every detail better than you do of what's going on in your life. And he's not just, doesn't just have his hands folded saying, okay, see if you can figure this one out. Gosh, we serve a God that is full of compassion and mercy. And he reaches out his hands to us and says, let me be your helper. Not like every other religion that says you, the gods say, you help me. Our God says, let me help you. He's a living, active God, not passive at all. Put that God into your troubles. And the next thing, oh, I need to go back. The next thing the psalmist says um, in the end of verse 3, he calls him Lord Almighty again, and then he says, my king and my God. That little two-letter word makes all the difference. The Almighty God is my king. I'm under his rule. I'm under his authority. I live in his kingdom. He's mine. I'm his. My king and my God. When you have that kind of assurance, your troubles look a lot different. So the right perspective of God will give you the right perspective of trouble. That's point one. Point two. Do you have the right priority in life? Let me read you verses 1 to 5 and see if you can pick up on what's the most important thing to this writer. What is more important to him than anything? What is his priority in life? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she can have her young at a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have their hearts set on pilgrimage. What's his, what's his priority in life? What's the most important thing to him? Did you see it? Nothing matters more to him than his relationship with the Almighty God. He says, my soul yearns and longs and even faints and cries out, God, I just want to be in your presence. I just want to be where you are. I envy those birds, those little swallows who they get to build a nest in your temple. They're always near you, and I'm out here in this valley trying to get to you. His number one priority in life was his relationship with God. He just wanted to be close to him and near him and experience his presence. And they did that in a temple. And where do we do that? 
Where do you experience God's presence? I hope you do here. But the great thing is that God says, now we are the temple of God. His spirit lives within us. When I experience his presence most is when I'm sitting with an open Bible. Don't complain that God never speaks to you if you don't open this. He wants to talk to us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to strengthen us. It comes from his words, which are life and power. So, is that your first priority in life? Is your first priority in life your relationship with God? Like nothing's going to get in your way. You're going to make sure, you're going to do whatever it takes to have a close walk with God, to be one of those who walk and talk with God, who hear his voice, who find comfort and peace in his presence. Now we often pray, oh God, bless me today. Or we see somebody hurting, we say, God, bless them. What do we mean by that? I'm sure we all have a picture of what it means, what we want God to do, how we want God to bless me, how we want God to bless the people we love. Let's look at the Hebrew definition of blessed. It means to be deeply satisfied and content. And I really like the way the Amplified Bible reads Amplified Bible says, the blessed are those who are spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward condition. It's too easy to think we're blessed when we're outside of trouble. If trouble's not in my path, if trouble's not in my life, then I am blessed. And you know what God wants us to believe by faith? It doesn't matter what's going on around us. It can be chaos. It can be like that menu, the pig throw fight chaos. That can be what life looks like. Inside, where God lives, if he's taken up residence in your heart, there's a sense of well-being. doesn't make sense. A peace that passes understanding. Other people look at you going, I don't get it. Why aren't you worried about this? And why aren't you worried about this? And don't you see this? And don't we all need to just be, oh, so worried. Oh, woe is us. The world is coming to an end. No. I'm in this bubble. All of that's outside of me, inside of me. You know, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, I believe it is, the kingdom of God consists of righteousness, joy, and peace. I live in the kingdom of God. Do you? Do you live in the kingdom of God? We do not live in the kingdom of this world. It doesn't have to affect us. The kingdom of God is where we live, and we are blessed. And when you have the right priority in life, you'll, you'll, you'll experience those blessings in greater and greater measure. So the first point, have the right perspective of God. Look at your trouble and put God in it. Second point, make sure your priorities are what God wants in your life. Are you seeking him? Is he your number one priority in life? 
When our first priority in life is anything other than our relationship with Christ, we're just missing it. We're missing the blessings he wants to give us. It's that simple. I love this statement by Oswald Chambers, and listen to this. He says, there's only one relationship that matters, and that is your personal relationship to a personal Redeemer and Lord. Let everything else go, but maintain that at all costs, and God will fulfill his purpose in your life. Only one relationship that really matters, but when you get it right, your other relationships fall into place. God is so good. Okay, the third point, hang on to the right promises. Now, that's a little bit of an awkward statement. (laughs) God's promises are always right, although we do have to be careful to keep them in context. There's some promises we wouldn't want. (laughs) Specific ways and specific circumstances, he dwelt with specific people. But when I'm saying hold on to the right promises, I'm saying that the times I have been disappointed with God in my life have been the times I was expecting him to do something he never said he'd do. Let me say that again. I've been disappointed with God. Have you? Have you ever prayed for something, expecting him to do it, and he didn't do it? Sure, we all have, haven't we? I have found that the times I am disappointed with God are the times I was expecting him to do something he never promised he would do. It's like I went to God with my grocery list and I said, here God, here's what I want. Do this, 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 and this. And then I believed with all my might he's going to do just what I want. And then he didn't. Our God is a good father. He gives us what he knows is best for us, not necessarily what we want. If you're a parent, you understand that, right? So make sure you're banking your faith on what's true. And I tell you what energized my prayer life more than anything is years ago I did a study on the way Paul prayed. It's eye-opening. Get into the epistles and look for Paul's prayers. And remember that most of the time he's in prison and he lives in a very oppressive government, under a very oppressive government that persecutes Christians terribly. We can't even imagine the persecution. We haven't seen that kind of persecution so far from it. And look at how Paul prays. It'll open your eyes. When we take what God says he wants to do, you read the word just like I showed you Psalm 33, 22. It says, may your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord. Surround us with your unfailing love for our hope is in you. That's a prayer. And that's a prayer he wants to answer. I know it because he wrote it down and said, look, this is what I want you to ask me for. Ask for the things he has promised to give and your prayer life will soar. He wants so much more for us than we want. We want our outside fixed. Pretty convinced God's more concerned about our inside. Because he's got a goal in mind. He has a destiny for us. And he wants us to stay on this path all the way till we see him face to face. 
So, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, or whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage to Zion. The psalmist, this is the condition. Often there are conditions to God's promises. He says, you do this, I'll do this. And this one, the psalmist is saying, okay, I know. I am weak. You know, I don't have to be superhero to God. I don't have to pretend like everything's all right when it's not. He called this a valley of weeping. He admitted this had brought him to tears. So he first of all says, God, my strength is in you. I have no strength of my own. And in my heart is this map. I'm set on a pilgrimage to see your face. A pilgrimage is nearly, merely a long journey to a holy place. And that's what we're on. Some of us, our journey is longer than others. But we're all on this journey through life, and someday we all will see him face to face. And that's the map that needs to direct our choices. Look at the end. When you make this choice, how is that going to make you feel when you're standing face to face before God? Are you choosing the things that keep you on this path headed toward the great destiny of living with him forever. Well, that's a condition. This is the promise. When we go through the valley of Baca, the valley of trouble, the valley of affliction, the valley of weeping, it becomes a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. It's like there's this underground fountain inside of us, springs up in us giving us peace and joy that makes no sense. Paul says, I'm sorrowful yet always rejoicing. People without Christ will never experience that. But those of us who belong to him, who have the holy God within us, we can be sorrowful. It's okay. This world is not heaven. God says when we're afflicted, he is afflicted. He knows it's hard. He knows we hurt. He hurts with us. but we can have an ever-flowing spring of life within us. We can go from strength to strength. We look at where we were last year spiritually, and now we say, wow, God, you've built my faith this year. I feel like I'm growing. This pressure that's come into my life has just pushed me closer to you, going from strength to strength until we each appear before God in Zion. He's pursuing that priority. And then God promises to be a sun and a shield. You know, in a valley of trouble, it's dark. I don't know how you describe your valley. The valleys, I've been in some dark valleys. I couldn't see. Sometimes I didn't feel like I could see one step ahead or feel like I had the strength to make one step ahead. But how great is it when we know God brings light to the darkness? And what occurred to me as I read the, the thought about the creation story, what's the first thing God created? Light. There was darkness, and God said, let there be light. And if you are in darkness, I don't know what your trouble is, but if you are in darkness, say, God, I need your light. Be to me what you were to this psalmist. Be a sun and a shield, a protection around me. 
Lord, show me your favor. Make this your prayer. And then believe this promise. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. No good thing. And blameless, let me tell you, I'm not. Are you? No, none of us are blameless. So does that mean this doesn't apply to any of us? Absolutely not. Aren't you so glad we don't live in the Old Testament? We live on this side of the cross where Christ's righteousness has been given to us, credited to us. I fail God every single day. In my thoughts, sometimes in my attitudes, I get bad attitudes. I don't like what's going on. In my frustration, in my anger, in my despair, I'm not blameless, but I can go to my mediator, Jesus Christ, and say, forgive me. I know I had a bad attitude. I know I shouldn't have gotten angry. Lord, forgive me. And his blood covers my sin, and in God's sight, he sees me as blameless as Jesus. Isn't that incredible? That is the good news we got to hold on to. And when we know that we are in Christ, we are blameless when God looks at us. No good thing will he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. He ends a psalm by saying, O Lord Almighty, blessed, I am so blessed. I am spiritually prosperous. It doesn't matter what's going on outside of me. I can tell I am blessed because I trust in you. Not because I understand. I just simply trust. Like Psalm 84, as we go through the valley of trouble, the valley of weeping, it will become a place that we'll look back and go, wow. I experienced more of God's power. I experienced more of God's love. I experienced more of God's mercy and kindness in that valley. We don't have to get out. While we're in it, he wants to bless us. Can we pray? Father God, how grateful I am that your word is true. It's not easy to understand and to um, those of us who have troubling issues in our life. Sometimes we, we can hear things like this and read it and think, I don't have the faith to believe that. But you are so compassionate to us. You understand that we are frail. And you'll even give us faith if we ask for it. So, Lord, we come to you. Give us faith to trust you in the midst of our own chaos. May we see the blessings and rich blessings, those rich inner blessings of peace that passes understanding and joy in spite of sorrow and strength even when we feel so weak. Lord, would you give us all a heart that desires nothing more than to be in your presence and that we make you a priority connect with you each day by listening to you in your word. 
Thank you, God. I want to pray for anybody here today who's just really struggling. Lord, you see them. Let them know that your eyes are on them. Give them a hug because you say, when we're afflicted, you are afflicted. And Lord, just hug them and draw them in close to your heart, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.